0: Welcome to episode 16 of the Empowering Ability Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability, the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. This is your host, Eric Gall. And for all of our listeners, I just want to remind you that we are currently still recording our mini series on housing for people with a disability. And uh, if that's a topic that interests you, make sure to go over to empoweringability.org and grab the free download on creating uh, your home. It's a great workbook that'll help you start to think about what your vision is for home and how to start to implement that and start the conversation. So going on over to Empower Ability.org and, and grab that for you and your family. So, this week is part two of our six part mini series on housing for people with a disability. And uh, I'm excited to have on our show today guest Ron Prusin. And Ron is the father to his 40-year-old daughter, Caroline. And Ron and his family have been on uh, Caroline's 40-year journey uh, with a developmental and physical uh, disabilities. And they've had many challenges and had many successes over the years. And uh, Ron and his wife have been involved for about two decades now uh, in advocacy for people with disabilities and have really worked to improve programs and services in Ontario, Canada. And in Ron's case, he's really been involved with a gra- grassroots family group uh, called Opportunities Mississauga. Uh, as well, he has a membership in the Ontario Government's Developmental Services Partnership Table. And most recently, over the last two, two and a half years, Ron has been the chair of the Developmental Services Housing Task Force. And today on the, the podcast, Ron shares a lot of the learnings that he's had uh, as a parent wearing several different hats uh, throughout kind of his uh, last 20 two decades of advocacy. And he really gives that perspective, uh, his own personal perspective perspective of uh, a parent, which I think you're really going to enjoy. But he shares those great lessons that he's learned. uh, And we have a great conversation on uh, partnerships. So private and public partnerships and, uh, just some, some key messages, ideas that families should really consider, uh, around looking at housing. And we talk about, it's not just housing. So I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast and here's Ron. Ron, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, perfect. So we've been playing tag a little bit as you've been traveling around and uh, I'm grateful that we we're able to to nail down a date and, and get together to talk about housing here on, on episode two of our, our mini series on housing for people with disabilities. So um, this is something that uh, you're involved with on a couple of different levels. So. Uh, maybe you could show share with our uh, with our listeners today um, a little bit about yourself and, and the things that you're involved in. Okay, sure. I, the
1: starting point certainly is uh, is uh, my uh, you know, my being the parent of a uh, of a, an adult child with developmental disabilities. Caroline, who is uh, now 40 uh, years old, um, is our youngest uh, child. We have three, uh, three kids altogether. Caroline, the the youngest, has had, you know, health, uh, health and social challenges for her whole life. Uh, And uh, so we, we've lived live the life of uh of of you know what it's like to uh to, to be uh, a person with developmental disabilities or the parent of or a sibling of uh, someone with developmental uh, disabilities and that kind of led us into uh led her mom uh, alice uh, and, and i into all kinds of activities which is bound to happen for the uh, the parents of someone with uh, with disabilities um and particularly after caroline left school Uh, at 21, you know, we started to experience the the kind of the black hole that was often out there in terms of uh, supports and services and opportunities. School years were great in all kinds of ways. And then the swing of the pendulum to the other end of the spectrum, virtually nothing in Mississauga, where we live, there were literally, literally no uh, programs, day programs for um, people over 21 with developmental uh, disabilities, uh, much less any serious opportunities for um, uh, housing, you know, uh, you know independent um, uh, housing opportunities for those people. So we started to get involved in various uh, efforts, uh, a family group. In mississauga still there called opportunities mississauga um, which now represents about 200 families in mississauga with um, uh, children including very much adult uh, children with developmental disabilities worrying about things like housing in the long run respite opportunities employment supports and, and and the like that For me, wound up leading to a couple of other things. Uh, Our organization was asked to to send a representative to the Ministry of Community and Social Services, the provincial government uh, agency here, uh, has something called the Partnership Table, which meets quarterly, brings in people from around the province, agencies as well as family representatives to talk about what's needed in the way of supports for people with developmental disabilities. I wound up being the Opportunities Mississauga representative on that partnership table. That led to, and I'm making a complicated story short, uh, that led to the creation of the Housing Task Force, uh, which uh, has now been working for about two and a half years uh, on what is probably the most critical problem facing adults with developmental disabilities in the province of Ontario though it's a problem shared in many other uh, areas, many U.S. states, many provinces in Canada as as well, um, trying to come up with recommendations and solutions to uh, a really crisis situation. There are something between 12 and 17,000 people in the province of Ontario alone waiting for housing uh, opportunities uh, so that they could Live more independent lives, move out of the family home in a way that's going to be sustainable uh, as their, uh, as uh, particularly parents uh, age and become, and it becomes more difficult for them to provide the uh, the supports that the adult child requires. So I've been working on the housing task force, uh, chairing it uh, technically. Um, uh, for the last two and a half years, and that's been a really important experience for our family, for me personally, um, and I, but but I ultimately come back to the fact that I'm I'm a father in this situation, and, and really what I would want to talk about today is mostly that uh, experience, what what it's meant, even the housing task force, what that's meant for me um, in terms of a learning uh, e- experience. Um, the Housing Task Force is an arm's length group. It uh, it was created by the government, but it it's not part of the government. It's not, um, it, it, it isn't controlled by the government. And about 18, 20 individuals with very diverse backgrounds, lots of different ideas and perspectives on things. So I don't want to personally speak for the Housing Task Force at this point because there'd be... All kinds of ideas that I wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate as well as other people would. But as a parent who's had some intensive work with the Housing Task Force, uh, if there are things that I can share that might be helpful, great. I'm happy to do that.
0: Yeah, perfect. And excited to have you sharing your personal views today and uh, getting to do a bit of a more in-depth conversation. So good. I thank you for that. Sure. And for our listeners that aren't in the Toronto uh, area, um, Mississauga is just located uh, just west of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Um, so, Ron, with your involvement with, um, with your daughter and with the Housing Task Force... What are actually? You know what? If we could, if I could retract that question, we'll go back to it. Um, could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about the housing task force project? Sure. The
1: primary emphasis has has been, and this the creation of the housing task force was actually the recommendation of this partnership table group I mentioned uh, a, a, a little earlier. The that meets quarterly with ministry rep- government representatives to talk about needs and what what should be done or what could be done uh, to help address some of the problems that people with developmental disabilities are facing. Uh, we recommended a focused attention on what had become a particularly critical issue, uh, long neglected, uh, that seemed to be growing worse. The waiting list Uh, of people uh, needing, wanting housing opportunities uh, beyond the family home was growing longer rather than shorter. So we thought it was time for a really intense focused effort um, and one that would involve people from various backgrounds, agencies that we're used to, uh, to working with the developmental um, disability sector, the individuals needing support, the families and relatives uh, of, of individuals needing uh, support. And so the Housing Task Force was created and with a particular emphasis on coming up with creative solutions. We knew what the government was doing. Everybody knew what the government was doing. There was a sense that, A, it wasn't doing enough uh, since the waiting lists were growing longer, and B, that it wasn't necessarily being creative uh, enough. It wasn't looking, in a sense, outside the box uh, for ideas that might allow quicker progress uh, on addressing the critical needs that were being uh, experienced. So the real emphasis in the Housing Task Force has been on innovative uh, ideas. Doesn't... For me personally, that doesn't involve criticism of what the government was doing. Uh, it just uh, it wasn't a negative judgment on things like group homes, for instance, or on what in the province of Ontario, at least, is called supported independent living arrangements where an individual had a degree of support, not necessarily 24-7 uh, support. No critical judgment on those, but the judgment was it wasn't enough, that you needed to think more creatively about uh, what could be done. So that's become the real focus of the Housing Task Force. And over the space of the last two and a half years, we went through a complicated but but really valuable process of asking the wider community people around Ontario for ideas, for proposals specifically, let's try this, let's try that, um, wound up with more than 200 proposals coming in. Unfortunately, although we had some money to work with, and this is that was a real plus as far as the government responses. is and concerned. And how much, how much money? We made? had what turned out to be $3 million of what in official government speak is called uh, annualized funding. It wasn't just $3 million once, and spend it, and then that's it. It was $3 million available to support a variety of pilot projects, creative, innovative pilot projects, with the commitment that the individuals who would be supported in those pilot projects would go on receiving support. If the specific mechanism, the specific project might Change or evolve over time, but the individuals would have an ongoing commitment from the uh, from, from the government So it's annualized in that sense. It's a it's a, a long term uh, commitment, which was real concern for, for us We didn't want a one-time uh, undertaking in which suddenly at the end of whatever two years those individuals were back
0: where they had, right.
1: had yeah, started been,
0: Then then what a- exactly That's endless... right. If, if
1: anything, it's almost worse uh, because you've sort of tasted uh, New opportunities and then have them taken away from you and to the government's real credit. Uh, I, I think uh, They saw uh, the importance of making this a long-term uh, commitment to those individuals so the three million dollars has been meaningful, uh, I, I think, in supporting pilot projects, and we are now very much—all of them are up and running. Um, we're uh, quite intensively trying to figure out what's working, what's not working, what's working in unexpected ways. What are the uh, what are the Problems that have arisen in launching a project and maintaining a project um, to to kind of learn more about creative ways of addressing uh, the, the the problems that are clearly out there.
0: Right, and so out of those two hundred proposals, how many projects were put uh, into place? Good point. I thought I had I meant
1: to mention that eighteen altogether. There were two rounds in the submission of proposals. Twelve were funded in the first round. Another six uh, uh, funded. Uh, in the second round and they were funded by the government the housing task force reviewed and assessed all the proposals we made recommendations to the government in each case in both rounds the government accepted completely the recommendations from the housing task force Um, there were many more proposals that deserved funding. Uh, Not for a moment would would any of us on the housing task force say that out of those 200 plus proposals, there were 18 that, that were worth funding. It was really difficult to narrow it down to 18. And the only reason we narrowed it down to 18 was that $3 million, which sounds like a lot of money, isn't a lot of money relative to the scale of the problem. So right. there were um, you know, dozens of other projects that would have deserved uh, funding if there was more uh, money available for it.
0: Yeah, and as an entrepreneur and coming from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, I actually love the approach that the government has taken with, with this uh, housing task force. You know, if the problem is a, I don't know, 200 million dollar problem probably bigger than that but um, instead of throwing 200 million dollars at it right off the bat and say okay here's the money go fix it let's do a bunch of testing to figure out you know where is the money best invested And it sounds like you're going through that process of the evaluating, you know, exactly. where the successes are and and what are we learning? From yeah, that. I agree.
1: I don't think any of us would have been unhappy with being given two hundred million dollars right <laughs> yeah. off the bat. Yeah, that was never likely to be in the uh, in in the cards. Uh, and and there really is a logic to uh, to you know taking this a step at a time to being to being able to say that there's actual movement. Here, uh, and let's let's see what we can learn uh, from it. And one of the things that the housing task force had in mind in reviewing all of the proposals is we wanted a variety of pilot projects. Uh, we wanted to see different ways of, of addressing uh, the, the the issues, uh, so that we could you know we could test on multiple fronts simultaneously here. And yes, that's exactly the process we're going through. So that one of our key jobs. Currently and for the year ahead uh, is some pretty intensive relationships with the pilot projects Uh, keep investigating uh, You know, what's going on? How is it going? What are you finding that's working? What's really satisfying? Are there problems that you didn't anticipate that you're running into those are all really important learning experiences for the projects, but for the housing task force so that we can then say to the government, okay, here's here's what we've learned, you know, and, you know, the, there's fine-tuning required and or duplication. Replication is, is, is the word that, that is often used in government circles. It's like these particular approaches really should be replicated elsewhere in the province because they've proven their worth, they've proven their value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So for the mothers and the fathers and the brothers and the sisters and the sons and the daughters listening to this podcast um can you share ron some of the learnings that you've had being involved with you know your own family your daughter and with uh the housing task force for the past two two and a half years
1: sure um and it's a complicated mix uh there there's been a lot of learning um there's also been a lot of frustration, I will freely ad- admit, and, and the government hears this regularly from those of us on the housing uh, task force as as well. There's no question uh, in, in my mind, for instance, on the frustration front that not enough is being done. Uh, enormous appreciation for the $3 million of funding that we had made available uh, to us, uh, but also... A, a clear realization that an, a great deal more money uh, is, is going to be uh, required to, to seriously address what is a crisis situation for many families where people have been waiting 15, 20, even 25 years uh, for housing uh, programs. We're, we're barely scratching the surface of that uh, kind of problem with the work of the Housing Task Force. It's much better than virtually anything that's been done in the last 20 years by the provincial government in Ontario. And it really deserves credit uh, for, for, for what's been done, but so much more uh, need, needs to be done. Uh, so the frustration continues. But flip side of the coin is there's also been some very impressive uh, experiences, I think, uh, valuable experiences. Uh, on one hand, it's been great to have confirmation of what I think many of us, particularly from families involved with uh, with, with these issues for a long time, uh, confirmation of what we thought was going to be the case. And that is people have great ideas out there uh, that have not fit in with the usual government cookie cutter uh, approach. It's not as if the government wasn't doing anything. They had a very limited menu of things that they were doing. Um, And uh, we've long felt uh, at the grassroots level that there were really good ideas that weren't being tapped, that weren't being funded, that weren't being encouraged. And particularly the process of, uh, of asking for proposals proved that we were right. There are wonderful ideas uh, out there. And the fact that we would feel that far more than 18 proposals deserve funding is, is a demonstration of, of that. Um, the other thing that's that's emerged is, is some appreciation, I think, as a learning experience, certainly for me, but I think many of the people on the Housing Task Force would say this. Many other people would say it. Um, that the variety of ideas is, is enormous. That, uh, that you know, people have, uh, been extremely creative in imagining a future, uh, that is different from the one that they live in at this moment or that their son or daughter lives in at this moment and that their sons and daughters, in fact, have been really good at imagining futures as well. Um, it's not just the families or a community agency that is is doing the visioning, uh, but the individuals who need supports are an important part of the process as well and contribute to uh, to, to seeing the, the possibilities out there. Um, for me, for instance, the most significant probably the most significant example of the creativity and the variety is the emphasis on building partnerships within your community. For many of us, and and this was absolutely true for me uh, and, and my family as well, I think the assumption for many years was, okay, this is a government responsibility. You've got, it's the equivalent of saying, you know, people need health care, uh, which is provincially funded in the province of, of Ontario. It's a government program. We expect the government to do this. It's the equivalent of, of what we do for senior citizens, that, you know, the government plays an important role in providing pensions in providing, uh, you know, support for housing opportunities for senior citizens and the like it is a government responsibility there's no question about it i would uh, argue and i don't think the government is doing enough but it's also a community uh, responsibility and uh, not just because what the community can offer can help to deal with the problems but because what the community can do will provide better solutions to to the problems um, i think a key part of understanding the housing Crisis. A learning experience for me uh, through the Housing Task Force work has been the value added of getting the community involved, not just because you can mobilize some resources, some financial resources that way, but because you develop community for the individual who's going to need support. You develop social opportunities, uh, connections, networks. You develop recreational opportunities. You develop educational and employment uh, opportunities. And that's incredibly important. At the end of the day, the house itself, whether it's an apartment or a room uh, in a group home or a a townhouse uh, or whatever, a condominium, it's an important part. It's a crucial part of someone's life experience. But it's one piece of the picture. That house, that literal roof over someone's head, has to be surrounded, if we're going to talk about real quality of life for people, has to be surrounded by a community. Uh, that individual needs a house within a community, needs a, it needs a place to live within a community where they can live um, and, and enjoy uh, what community offers for all of us, not just people with disabilities. And that's one of the real... Uh, Learnings from the the proposals that came in the value of those community connections that you're dealing with families neighbors um, uh, Agencies that work in the community the private sector service clubs churches What have you social uh, clubs of various kinds if you can get those involved in the project, you not only mobilize literal resources to help get a project off the ground, but you, you, do, you mobilize life and quality of life resources for the individual. It's been incredibly important, and you can't rely on the government to do that. Government has a really crucial role to play in this and helping with the funding in particular, um, but only some of the funding, and it can't ultimately control uh, some of the, the really crucial quality of life uh, issues that are uh, that, that have to be uh, a, a major priority.
0: Yeah, the community element is a really insightful thing that you're sharing, Ron, and, and thank you for sharing that. And before uh, we started recording the podcast, we were checking the audio, and we were talking a little bit about this, and housing is just part of the solution to creating that incredible ordinary life for an individual that has uh, a disability. Um, because if you just focus on housing, uh, I mean, the worst thing that could happen is they just stay in that home that's created okay. and they don't engage and contribute in, in any way. Um, so, would you be able to share or, or illuminate um, some maybe one or two examples where you've seen uh, that partnership uh, with community and and just tell our listeners a little bit about that, just to give uh, maybe some ideas around sure. it? Sure. Absolutely. Uh,
1: because it's it's certainly one of the things we came... I think we went into the review of the proposals process knowing that this was important, but it became increasingly important when we saw uh, concrete examples <clears throat> of what people had in mind. Uh, and it's on both sides. It's on mobilizing resources side. The partnerships have been incredibly helpful. So that we've got uh, among the pilot projects that are up and running and that, and that we're continuing to try to learn from at this point, there have been real community connections uh, that have helped with putting together the critical mass of resources to launch a project. So they can involve uh, local governments, for instance, uh, not, not the provincial government, but local governments. Uh, in particular cities and towns, City of Toronto, City of London, City of Windsor, among others, have really been helpful. And it took local families and groups to reach out to local governments to say, here's the issue. <laughs> You've got people living in our community who need some kind of, of support um, on the housing front. And a number of local governments have stepped up to the plate and really made some extremely valuable uh, contributions to the process, particularly through things like affordable housing uh, programs and and agendas in local communities, got organizations that have have stepped up to the plate. Uh, two of our projects, of the pilot projects, have involved Habitat for Humanity, for instance, in building uh, efforts. Local builders as well have gotten in, involved. Um, Social and faith community uh organizations have gotten involved, neighbors, simple neighbors uh have, have gotten involved, schools have gotten involved in providing um the social um and community networking supports uh beyond literal dollar and cents resources. Uh, as 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 well, we've got two programs, for instance, that are interacting with community colleges, where students involved in various programs become involved in uh, developing friendships, uh, providing supports for people who need uh, supports for community uh, involvement and community uh, ac- activities. Uh, really important, uh, I, I think, in those quality of life uh, issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so as a, as a parent, if you were starting kind of from at the starting blocks and thinking about housing for your daughter and and putting that in place, knowing what you know now, what are the first couple of steps that you would take? A timely
1: question. I literally last night was at a, at a meeting of our opportunities, Mississauga board, uh, which I still uh, serve on at this point. And we had, and I was not personally involved. I had to recuse myself because of being on the housing task force. But, but our group put in a proposal, uh, to the housing task force for what we call a transitional residential respite program to give people a, uh, you know, and, and there are hundreds of people in our particular region who are waiting, uh, for housing supports to give them a chance to sample the experience. Didn't get funded. Um, uh, and a, a key reason why it didn't get funded, I would say, I wasn't part of the review process because it came from a group that I was involved with in the past, uh, even though the proposal wasn't mine. Uh, a key problem was that we hadn't developed the community partnerships that would supplement anything that the government might be expected to do. At the end of the day, what we were basically saying in a very old-fashioned very understandable, but ultimately uh, unrealistic. Way was government needs to put X number of dollars uh, in into this in order to make this possible. It's a very understandable approach. It's the way we think about many social uh, issues and needs uh, to turn to the government. Uh, but it's it's not a very effective uh, or promising way at this point. More's the pity. Government has limited resources. Incredible numbers of demands in the health sector, in the education sector, you know, very obviously, for instance, and there just isn't enough money for the government to do everything we would want it to do. So that what we should have done and what we started talking about at our board meeting last evening was, okay, how do we build the community connections and the community partnerships that have been shown to be valuable and effective in some of these uh, pilots? Uh, projects at, at this point. Um, how do we get to the local government most effectively to communicate the need and to see what the local government can provide? How do we get to service clubs, faith communities? How do we get to uh, something like Habitat for Humanity in our particular area to, to to be involved? Are there ways in which a local college uh, could be involved, where there, where people are in fact being trained in programs to provide? Um, uh, you know, future support workers in the developmental services sector. That's where to begin, it seems to me. And ironically, we're not beginning there. We're going back to the beginning and saying, OK, this is something we need to, to do because we've seen how it works, how it can work in other places. And I think if people are literally beginning and not just going back to the beginning because uh, something they proposed or had in mind hasn't Uh, hasn't happened yet that's really a crucial place to 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 begin
0: right so what i'm hearing is you're suggesting instead of um just passively sitting on the wait list you're not suggesting not to go on the wait list but instead of just passively sitting on the wait list to take action and just to figure out how you can create that solution in your own community with partnerships so starting conversations exactly and and
1: literally to be proactive uh, about it um and you know that's happened in many communities uh, already it's been happening for decades frankly in in many uh, communities large numbers of people on that wait list of thousands uh, have tried to be proactive they just haven't made uh, as much headway as, as they would have, uh, have have liked to make some have uh, and and you know the uh, uh, you know some some of the pilot projects are an indication of, of that already I think things that were already underway that can now be uh, e- expanded as, as as we go forward for sure and I would by the way, you know maybe it's parenthetically maybe it's just a, a logical addition uh, to, to this that doesn't for a minute, giving up on saying the government needs to play its role that the provincial government uh, needs to needs to play its role here it should be doing much more uh, than it's doing but we also need to uh, to be uh, more energetic about the community dimension of this for two reasons and this may have been part of or implicit in anything I said uh, already it it needs to be part of it on one hand because it's a realistic way of saying we need to create the critical mass of resources to get a program launched but the second thing that i come more and more to appreciate uh, because of work on the housing task force and with these pilot projects is that it needs to be part of it because the project is going to be better because of that it may not only be possible because you can mobilize resources but what you create is going to be better because of the community connections they're going to I keep coming back to this phrase but it's of central importance to me. It's going to promise a greater quality of life for the individual who may be supported in in a program that does get created.
0: Mm -hmm. And is there a specific point in time in in individuals that has a disability, a point in time in their life where you should start thinking about um, this? Really, I almost looked at it as lifestyle design. So housing being a part of that, but, you know, what are, what's that individual going to be doing with their time and, you know, how are they going to contribute and, you know, what are their gifts, all those types of things. Yeah. Um, so I see all those things together, but I'm interested to hear your perspective. Is there a point in time where in an individual's life you need to start, it's most beneficial to start thinking about these things and doing some planning? And I'm tempted to say before their first birthday uh, <laughs> to, to, to be more realistic uh,
1: in terms of, of I guess, looking back over my own life experience, knowing many uh, individuals and families uh, where there's a a child, young or adult child with developmental disabilities, uh, probably no later than their early teenage years to to think about. uh, Because you'll know that person really well by that point, the siblings, the parents, uh, the extended family will know that person uh, well, and I like the way you put it. You'll, you'll know what their needs are, but you'll also know what their talents uh, mm-hmm. are, what they may be able to contribute. Um, and at that point, you know, you need, I think it's a valuable point to start thinking about designing a life uh, for, for that individual, involving that individual as much as possible in the design uh, going, going forward. It's a long process. I don't see unfortunately any shortcuts coming in the in the future uh, here. I think I may have mentioned earlier that you know that when, when Caroline was 16, um, you know we put her technically on the wait list because, our local community living organization uh, thought that made sense. Uh, they knew perfectly well, we didn't want to envision her leaving the, you know, the family home at that particular point, but they said it's probably going to take 10 years for something to, to develop. And we thought, okay, mid late twenties for Caroline that, you know, maybe that makes sense in terms of, of a greater degree of independence uh, for mom and dad and her older brother and older sister at that point. Well, you know, 22 years later, we were still waiting for an opportunity to to, uh, emerge. And that is, unfortunately, not even remotely an unusual experience. Certainly in the province of Ontario, there are large numbers of parents who are now in their 70s and 80s who still have full-time responsibility for an adult uh, child with developmental disabilities, and they are waiting. Uh, short of a serious health crisis for the family um, they are uh, they are waiting and will continue to wait because the progress is so slow at this point so the earlier
0: really the, the better mm-hmm. and this question is going back to a little bit further in our conversation and you were talking a little bit about the, the role the government plays and responsibility that they have and where more is needed, and you mentioned, um, you know, maybe one thing that they're doing well, but um, often I find that the government is is beat up on. <laughs> I'm curious, from your perspective, what's the government doing well in this situation?
1: I, I think it's it's saying the right things. Um, there's been a quite long term now emphasis under the present government on what's called the transformation of, uh, of the developmental services sector and the programs that the government is providing. Uh, real is a clear realization, no hiding, uh, the, the fact that there are some crisis situations out there, housing being one of them, but it's not the only one serious problems involving respite uh, for family uh, caregivers, for, for, for instance, some serious problems in terms of employment opportunities and educational opportunities for people with developmental disabilities. So they've admitted the problem. Uh, they earlier on, more than 10 years ago now, made a wonderful initiative to close some of the large traditional institutions where thousands of uh, Ontarians with developmental disabilities were really warehoused in, in a terrible, tragic uh, way. It was a superb initiative going back to the 1990s at this point. The, the literal, actual movement and action since then has been not keeping pace with the rhetoric about the need for for the transformation. There have been some valuable investments of resources. Certainly, the current government, frankly, has done a better job than has been done for decades in the province of Ontario. But there is still this enormous gap between what's needed and what is, is being offered uh, in terms of government uh, programs. To breathe the most effective life possible into the rhetoric about transformation of the system and meeting the critical needs of of, uh, Ontario citizens with developmental disabilities. Um, Budget resources have been flowing. Um, Three years ago, a a new serious commitment uh, to several hundred million dollars a year being added to the budget of the Ministry of Community and Social Services, which has primary responsibility in this particular area. A new budget announced with another uh, meaningful budget addition. But I think an attempt perhaps to to allow what's identified as a three or a four-year budget commitment to look like it's going to do more To address and close the gap between rhetoric and performance than is actually the case the current budget proposal for instance uh, from the government in ontario is just makes very little if any serious progress possible on the housing uh, front at this point the wait lists will continue to grow rather than shrink uh, at this point under the current budget proposal it's a serious disappointment for me as a parent it's a serious disappointment, I think, for someone like myself working on the Housing Task Force, which was hoping that we'd be able to make more progress on addressing the needs at, at, at this point. So you've got some effective action, and I really appreciate it. I, I think, you know, as someone whose daughter is now 40 years old, I know that what the current government has done, uh, has been doing, is better than what was done before, but there's so much more uh, that that needs to be done um and and
0: uh i it's 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 both uncomfortable and and heartbreaking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and throughout the the podcast the show today you've shared um many insights and great lessons with our listeners on really focusing on building community thinking outside of the box and and creating and uh, forming those local partnerships Um, thinking about when you just start doing this planning and thinking about creating a whole life and and housing's just not the only component um is there any other messages that you'd like to share with with our listeners wow okay (laughs) my philosophy of life
1: uh i don't know i I guess i've covered a, a lot of what for me have been important uh uh, insights or uh, insights that I've gained from, from the experiences, both as a parent and, and, and by way of, of work on the housing task force. Uh, I, I, I guess the, uh, uh, the only sort of of fine tuning I, I, I'd want to do or, or might add to, to what I've said is that, um, I, I don't, I don't actually see any choice frustrations aside, even though, even though I would like to see much more being done that is being done. Uh, I don't personally wind up ever feeling comfortable with the thought of just throwing my hands up and saying it, it, it is what it is, uh, and you know, and and laying down and go to sleep or, or what have you. you don't know, give up re- the fight. Re- you gotta just keep pushing. It's like if if we're moving inches instead of miles, and we need to move miles, not inches. At least we're moving inches, uh, and we got to keep the uh, keep the pressure on, and and that means not only uh for, for me thinking about more seriously developing these community uh based uh efforts but frankly keep the pressure on the government it's like talk to your uh in in ontario talk to your minister of uh, your, your member of parliament in your in your local community make it clear to them that this is a problem and do it regularly don't just do it once uh, but you know, go back to them and say, "What are you doing?" Or you're not doing enough. Uh, and and uh, and the premier in in Ontario send the message uh, that not enough is being done, and give them examples of what the problems are and, and the like. Uh, it's profoundly frustrating, but I think the only thing worse than suffering through the profound frustration would be
0: giving up. Mm-hmm. I like I like that message on sharing that lived experience with those um, yeah. people in, in power, positions of power yeah. to help them understand and empathize what people are, are living.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I think that's really important.
1: I, I agree because they, you know, even those who have significant responsibilities in this area within, say, the Ministry of Community and Social Services in a place like Ontario. I don't doubt in many instances that their hearts are in the right place, that they've got insights and experience, but they haven't lived the life. Um, and I think they need to regularly hear from people who have lived it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So my last question for you, um, if you had a, a billboard that the world would see, what would you put on that billboard? Wow.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. It would probably, with with respect to things like uh, the 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 needs and and uh, opportunities for people with developmental disabilities, it would probably be something like, "Pay attention and do something," uh, and and that would be to individuals, to families, to communities, to the government as well. Pay attention and do something. Uh, if I had a second billboard, <laughs> and and I. And I probably need a whole bunch of them, but I'll stop at two. Okay. second billboard would, would be um, you know, people with developmental disabilities are not just people in need. They are people who have something to contribute. Um, and that from a community perspective, it's not just that you have a sort of social and ethical responsibility or opportunity as a community, but you have the prospect of somebody who's going to contribute themselves to the life and the quality of life in your community
0: yeah very well said um i couldn't agree more so ron it's been a pleasure to uh, be able to interview you today thank you so much for your time and uh, i know that our listeners are going to appreciate your words today so thank you very much thanks very much it's been it's been a pleasure to do it a big thank you to Ron Prusin for coming on the podcast today and sharing his insights and learning that he's had in his past two decades of advocacy uh, and as a father uh, of a daughter with a, a developmental disability. Uh, I also want to give a huge shout out to all the folks that have been involved with the Housing Task Force, uh, the projects, and, and, the, and all the folks that have submitted the 200 proposals. And it really goes to, to Ron's uh, quote of pay attention and do something. So thank you to all you folks who are paying attention and are doing something. And this also includes the um, government of Ontario, the provincial government, and their participation in this uh, program uh, with the housing task force and putting up the $3 million of annualized funding. I agree that there's more to be done, but this is a step in the right direction. So thank you if housing is something that you're working on, uh, feel free to go to the website and get the free download on creating your home. So there's this great workbook that's going to help guide you through creating your vision and starting to implement your vision for what your home looks like. So go on over to the website. It's empoweringability.org. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of that. I'd like to thank all of our listeners that have left us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help me understand what I'm doing well, what I can improve on on the podcast, what you want to hear. So it's great feedback that you're providing. So please continue to do so. Also, by leaving a five-star review, it helps other people find the podcast. So thanks so much for those reviews and keep them coming. Next week on the podcast, I share some bonus audio from episode one with Keenan Weller, the co-founder and co-leader of Live, Work, Play in Ottawa. And in that bonus audio, I ask Keenan, what's the question that you get asked most often? By families, and Keenan shares his answer to that. It's all around housing, and Keenan shares his approach and what works or what has worked with his experience with helping people to to find housing and to to create home. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. We also uh, brings in uh, the topic of social capital and building relationships. So uh, it's a great. Uh, piece of the interview, which I think you're really going to enjoy. So thanks for listening today and looking forward to connecting with you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability
0: build a full and meaningful life.